what did Christ do in this world? He himself said, I did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. He came in order to serve his people. And if we're going to be like Christ, then we have to be serving his people. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright. Today, Tom has part three of a four-part series titled Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member. What does the Bible say about the responsibilities of each person as it relates to church membership? Well, Tom is examining the three biblical priorities of a church member. Last time we considered the first, being engaged in a weekly pattern of corporate worship. That means arriving at church and readying your own heart to be engaged in individual worship while continuing throughout all the elements God has prescribed for corporate worship. Today, Tom will examine the remaining two hallmarks of a biblical church member. First, there must be the commitment to corporate worship. And second, there must be the commitment to service, ministering to the church. Keep that in mind as we join Tom now, here on The Word Unleashed. We should all be rightly concerned about finding and belonging to a biblical church. But let me ask you this, are you equally concerned about being a biblical church member? What are, in the end, the absolute essentials of church life. What are the things that must mark you if you were to be a biblical church member? Well, there are three hallmarks of a biblical church member. There are three priorities that if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ and rightly engaged in His church, that you must be engaged in in order to reflect the teaching of the New Testament. We considered the first of those you will be engaged in a weekly pattern of corporate worship, exalting God with the church. You will come together. Not only will you worship God individually, of course, as believers we do that, but as a member of God's family, you will come together with the rest of the family on the Lord's day to worship with them. And that means, as I, as I described it to you, it means coming with your own heart engaged in individual worship and continuing that throughout all the elements that God has prescribed for our worship. And it means that you not only worship individually from your heart, but you intentionally worship with the people around you and even for their benefit, as we talked about last Sunday. Now today, I want us to consider the other two hallmarks of a biblical church member. There must be a commitment to corporate worship, and secondly, there must be a commitment to service, ministering to the church. You see, Christian, you were saved, at least in part, to serve just like our Lord. Remember, the goal of, of the Christian faith is ultimately becoming like Jesus Christ in order to bring Him glory. Well, what did Christ do in this world? He Himself said, I did not come to be served, but to what? Serve. He came in order to serve His people. And if we're going to be like Christ, then we have to be serving His people. Now, how does that actually happen? 
Well, the New Testament is clear about the plan for your service. Do you understand? Christ has a plan for your service, and that is serving his church. That's Christ's plan for your service to him. It's serving his church. Let's look at it together. Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians 4, Paul is just finished in the first three chapters unfolding the eternal plan of God for Christ, for the church, and for you. And then he turns in the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1, to apply all of that. And he says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of that calling with which you have been called. And he goes on to explain how we should live out the reality of of all that God has done for us in Christ. And it's not a surprise that he begins with how we interact with his church. He talks about the unity that we are to preserve in the church. And then he gets to our service in the church. Look at verse 7, Ephesians 4, verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In the interest of time, I want you to skip down then to verse 11. Verses 8 through 10 sort of expound on that, but go down to verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as literally pastor teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Now, folks, those are three remarkable verses because in those three verses, we discover Christ's plan for his church. Here it is. This is how the church is to function. Let me give it to you, and I'm just going to give you an outline. If you're interested in delving into this more, uh, I preached through this at quite some length when we were working our way through the book of Ephesians. You can go back and listen online. But let me just give you an outline. Here's Christ's plan for his church. Number one, Christ distributes spiritual gifts to the church. That's verse 7. To each one of us, Every believer, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Now, that's all Paul says about it here. We're going to look at another passage in a few minutes in Peter, so I'm just going to give you that outline point and we'll move on. Christ distributes spiritual gifts to the church. Secondly, Christ appoints the leaders of the church, verse 11. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastor teachers. These are leaders, men that God has given in Christ to the church. You see, not only did Christ give spiritual gifts to every member of his church, but he also gave gifted leaders to the entire church. And in that last expression, pastor teachers, he gave gifted men to each church. In fact, Notice that final office, pastor teachers. The Greek construction, by the way, points to this as one office. These men that he's talking about here are teaching shepherds. Now, just for clarity's sake, let me just say that a pastor teacher, as he's described here, an overseer, as described elsewhere, and an elder all refer to the same office or position. In Acts chapter 20, 1 Peter 5, the terms elder, overseer, and pastor or shepherd are used interchangeably of a New Testament elder in a church. In Acts 20 and 1 Timothy 5, we learn that the church in Ephesus, a church that was 
was a significant church, but not a large church, had a plurality of elders who shepherded it. Some of them were paid, and some of them were lay, 1 Timothy 5.17. So one church with a plurality of leaders, pastor-teachers, whom Christ had put in place over that church. That's why our church doesn't have just one pastor, me, but rather our church is led by a plurality of elders, and I am one of those elders because this is the New Testament model. Thirdly, the leaders equip the members of the church, verse 12, for the equipping of the saints. So notice that he gave these spiritual leaders, including pastor teachers, to what purpose? For the equipping of the saints. The primary role of the elders of this church is not to do the ministry. If you were used to the concept of a clergy-driven church, that is, just the pastors did all the work, just the elders did all the work, you have a, a skewed view of Christ's plan for the church. That's not my role. That's not the role of the other elders of this church. The primary role of the elders is not to do the work of ministry, but to equip you to do the work of ministry. That brings us to the fourth element in Christ's plan. The members do the ministry of the church. Notice verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, to what end? For the work of service. That's what leaders equip the saints to do, service. Now, the word service is a word that's used for any kind of service. It's used, for example, in Acts chapter 6, verse 4, of the ministry of the Word. But that same word service is used in places like Luke 10, 40 and Acts 6, 2 of preparing and serving food. So it's a word with a huge range of meaning. It means to serve in all kinds of different capacities. Here's the point. Every member of the church is to be involved in service at some level. Everything from teaching God's Word in the, in the public proclamation of the pulpit and the corporate worship, as I'm doing right now, all the way down to menial acts of service across the church. But everyone is to be serving the members do the work of service. The fifth part of the plan is when all of that happens, when the first four pieces come together like they should, then the plan, Christ's plan, results in the growth of the church. Notice verse 12 says, when all of that happens, it is to the building up of the body of Christ. You understand, as, as this plan unfolds, as we serve like we're intended to serve, then the church as a whole grows spiritually. This is Christ's plan. So service then, what I want you to see is service is not something peripheral. It's not something that is sort of an add-on that might be good when you get, a, get around to it. It is integral to Christ's plan for the church, including the spiritual growth of every one of us. Christ's plans his plan, get this into your mind, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, His plan for you is to serve in His church. question is, how? Well, that brings us, secondly, to the means of your service. So we can continue to consider this issue of service, the means of your service, and that is using your spiritual gift. Turn over to 1 Peter, because Peter fills this out for us in 1 Peter chapter 4. A lot of places we could look, but I love this text. 1 Peter 4, 
verses 10 and 11. You follow along there in your copy of the Scripture. He says, As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Again, I want you to notice that when gifts are used as they ought to be used, it results in what? The glory of Jesus Christ and of the Father. Now, let's watch Peter unfold this concept here of of using your spiritual gift. Notice, first of all, he begins in verse 10, as each one. In English as in Greek, the each one here is emphatic. He intends to say every single true Christian, every one of you, each one. This is the message of other places in the New Testament about spiritual gifts. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, God has allotted to each member of the body gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, 7, to each one, that is to every believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Again, the context of spiritual gifts. Just as every member of your body has a function, so does every member of Christ's body, as each one. And notice he says, as each one has received. That's a divine passive. It means receive from God. The source of the gift is God. And by the way, that verb, has received, implies that this gifting happened in the past. Putting that together with 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, it seems clear that this gifting we're talking about happened at the moment of conversion. At the moment you repented of your sins and believed in Jesus Christ, you were already regenerated in that process. That was the the first thing as God used the gospel to bring life to your dead soul, and He justified you, He adopted you, and at that same moment, the Holy Spirit gifted you. He gifted you. In fact, notice how Peter puts it in verse 10, each one has received a special gift. You'll notice the word special in English is italicized. That means the translators have added it. It's literally just as, as each one has received a gift. The Greek word is charisma. Literally, it means a gift of grace. It's a gift of God's grace. In other words, just like your salvation wasn't earned or merited, neither is this gift. It's just an expression of God's grace, His unmerited favor. Specifically here, by this special gift, Peter is referring to what we normally call spiritual gifts. Now, there's a lot of confusion about what spiritual gifts are. Let me just give you a definition. A spiritual gift is a unique capacity for service given to every true Christian. A spiritual gift is a unique capacity for service given to every true Christian. Now, when you look at the New Testament, there are two basic kinds of gifts. First of all, there's what what we could call temporary sign gifts. They're miraculous gifts. They're things such as miracles, healings, languages or tongues as it's sometimes called, and the interpretation of languages. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 12.12, 12, 
we read about the signs of the apostles, which included a couple of these miraculous gifts. In Hebrews chapter 2, we learn that even by the time the writer of Hebrews wrote, just before the destruction of, of Jerusalem and the temple in 70 AD, already by that time, the writer of Hebrews says, those who brought us the gospel exercise these gifts, but no longer. And of course, you see that unfold in early church history. So what was the purpose of these temporary sign gifts? Their purpose was to authenticate the apostles and their message as the true Word of God until the written Word was completed, and that written Word becomes, by the Holy Spirit, self-authenticating. So these miraculous sign gifts ceased early in the history of the church. Now, if you are personally unconvinced of that, or if you're convinced of that, but you, you really struggle with the evidence to convince anybody else of that, then let me encourage you to go online and search for a message I preached at the Strange Fire Conference several years ago called A Biblical Case for Cessationism. A Biblical Case for Cessationism. It will lay out for you the seven primary arguments for why the Scriptures teach that the miraculous gifts have ceased but that's a different message for a different time. So you have temporary sign gifts. The second category of gifts you have are what I would call permanent edifying gifts. Permanent edifying gifts. Now, how many spiritual gifts are there in the New Testament? Well, there are two lists in the New Testament of spiritual gifts. One of those is in Romans 12, the other in 1 Corinthians 12. And when we combine those two lists together, we discover that there are 18 total gifts. Again, that's Romans 12, 6 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 10, and then verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 12 as well. 18 total gifts. Now, four of those were miraculous sign gifts, miracles, healings, languages, and interpretation of languages. Two occur in both lists. So that leaves us then, when we do the math, with 12 permanent spiritual gifts. But even that 12 may not be exhaustive. It may simply represent the potential diversity that the Holy Spirit can give people in. And regardless, I would say this, those 12 permanent edifying gifts are like a divine palette. It's not that every person gets only one gift and only one. Rather, the, the gifting is like a palette the Holy Spirit can use. He takes those, those gifts and he blends a little of this one with a little of that one, and, and he paints each person with a special, better to say, giftedness. We talk about spiritual gifts. I think it's better to say you have been specially gifted. You have a giftedness that you have been given by the Holy Spirit. Now, the question that always comes up at this point is, how can I discover what my gift is? And I understand that question, of course. We're, we're, we all want to serve in the way the Lord equipped us, so that question comes up. I would encourage you, first of all, just to study this issue. Pray for wisdom and direction. Seek the input and guidance of mature people around you who can help you understand what you are and are not gifted to do. But can I give you the, the most basic advice to discover your spiritual gift? Just get busy serving in the life of the church. Why do I say that? Because we tend to gravitate toward the areas of our gifts. And if we, if we stray, 
the church has a way of helping bring us back into line. That's how it works. I mean, think about your own physical body. So much of the function of the various components of your physical body is involuntary. You don't think about it. They just do their part. Your pancreas didn't have to take a three-page personality survey to determine what its gifts are and how it fits into the body. It just works because God made it just to work. That's how it is with our giftedness. Don't spend so much time worrying about what your gift is. Just get involved in the life of the church, and as that happens, you will gravitate toward those gifts that you have, and to whatever extent, to whatever extent you're confused, the church will help direct you, the Holy Spirit will help direct you, and you'll end up where you need to be, filling the function that God made you to fill. It's a whole lot easier for the Holy Spirit to steer a moving car than one that's parked. So get busy. Serve. Just get involved. Now look at verse 10. As each one has received this this special giftedness, this unique capacity to serve, employ it in serving. Now look at those four English words, employ it in serving. That translates one Greek word, and it's the verb form of the noun deacon. It's it's used, obviously, for the office of deacon in the New Testament, but it's also a word for general selfless service. You know what Peter is saying? As each one of you has received a special gifting by the Holy Spirit, serve. Serve. Serve one another. You see, your gift is to be the channel through which your ministry to others and ultimately to Christ himself flow. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says that each one has received this gifting, listen to this, for the common good. It's for others. You've been gifted for others. You know, I, I'm, I've been gifted to teach, and when I study and when I teach, I benefit probably more than you do. The Lord uses my gift for my own soul, and hopefully He uses my gift for yours as well. But we use our gifts for the common good. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 26, he's talking still about spiritual gifts, and he says, let all things be done for edification. Gifts are intended to edify, to build up the entire body. So let me put it bluntly. God has given you, I want you to personalize this. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, God has given you a unique blend of special abilities, and he demands that you use them to serve one another. How is that to play out? He goes on in verse 10 to say, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word steward is literally house manager. It was the slave in the first century who was responsible for managing his master's property. The point is this, we are not owners of our giftedness, we are merely managers. Notice how he describes our giftedness there, the manifold grace of God. The word manifold means many-colored, literally. It speaks of the variety. Corporately, there is a great variety of giftedness represented in this room, and individually, each of us is often a mix of various gifts. And he says, you are to look at those gifts, you're to look at that giftedness, notice what he says, as a steward. That is encouraging us to approach our giftedness with humility. 
When it comes to your spiritual giftedness, you are a slave using your master's resources to accomplish his business. Now, I love what Peter does next because we all love it when things become simple. And Peter has a way here in this verse of making it very simple for us. He condenses all possible spiritual gifts to two categories, and then he explains how we're to exercise those gifts. Notice in verse 11, you have speaking gifts and you have serving gifts. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's it. That's it. You either have a speaking gift or you have a serving gift or you have a combination of the two. Those are the only options. That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part three of his series titled Three Hallmarks of a Biblical Church Member. Tom will bring you part four on our next program. Join us then, won't you? We'd love to hear from you. And if you haven't reached out before or if you're a first-time listener, we'd like to send you Tom's book, Jesus' High View of Scripture, free of charge. Just subscribe to The Word Unleashed on our website and we'll mail you a free copy of Tom's book. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. And don't forget to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do so by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.